I found it hard to just stay seated. My feet were marching to the music. But you know, I, 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 I love the message. We live in a complicated and sinful world today, but God's truth, God's providential plan for us as individuals, but for this world, keeps marching on. No matter how bad it looks out there, God is still on the throne. God is still powerful, and his truth will ultimately prevail, and we're so grateful for that. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for all you do for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have to worship you today. Thank you that we can call ourselves Americans, but Lord, um, ultimately, our greatest call and our greatest residence and our greatest home is to be with you in that place called heaven. Lord, help us to realize that this world is not our home. Help us not to be discouraged by what we see around us, but Lord, to realize that ultimately you will prevail. You will set your holy king on the hill Zion. For this we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, and um, uh, we're going to consider four sets of veterans on this Veterans Day weekend. And for the sake of definition, I'd like to define a veteran in this way. A veteran is one under orders who has carried out his assigned mission to defeat an enemy or a threat. A veteran is one who has borne the impact of battle, possibly even to his or her death, and it's all for the advancement of a greater and a lasting good. And in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, if you'll turn there now, we're going to be reading a roll call of heroes of the faith. Uh, we'll be moving about in several other places in the scriptures, but we're going to begin in this chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. And when you read the names of these heroes of the faith, it also gives you a short account of their heroic acts. We see that many of these individuals were given promises by God, but who in fact died before the fulfillment of those promises. All of them were engaged in a conflict of some kind or facing some sort of difficult circumstance. All of them bore the impact of the battle. All of them were in pursuit of a greater good. But not all of them lived to see the greater good or the goal for which they fought. Look at verse 13, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Some of these heroes never lived to see what they were struggling for or fighting for or to see the fulfillment of the promises they were given. Back in Exodus chapter 3, you can turn there if you, if you would like, but I'd like to read about Moses back in Exodus chapter 3. And here we see a man of faith a, a, a patriot, a hero of the Old Testament. But in chapter 3 of Exodus, verses 6 through 8, we read these words. Moses has just encountered the burning bush. And God is speaking to Moses out of the burning bush. 
And God says to this, moreover, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt. I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, a large, and unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And again, we read in verse 10, he says to Moses, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You know, Moses, at this point, I think, had some expectation that he was going to the promised land. It seems like he would have got that from the message God gave him. We read further now back in Hebrews, and you're going to have to keep your finger in these, these books. But in Hebrews 11, verse 24 says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You see, he was seeking a greater good. He was choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. In other words, he was willing to bear the impact of the battle. That is, he forsook the pleasures of sin for a greater good. Esteeming the reproach, the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. In other words, Moses was willing to suffer affliction with the people of God because God had promised him a greater and a better reward than the riches of Egypt. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So Moses was a brave man. He stood for the Lord. He did what he knew was right. But in spite of all of those heroic and sacrificial deeds, Moses never went into the promised land. There are others who lived through strident, harsh conflicts, but they didn't see the greater good that they sought. Further down in verse 35 of this chapter, we read of hero heroic saints who suffered terribly, who died in their suffering. Verses 35 through 39. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted and tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Do you find that interesting? I think of Abraham, and I think of the Abrahamic covenant. In Genesis 15, verse 7, and you don't need to turn to these, I'll read them. God said to Abraham, I am the Lord that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land and to inherit it. And then, in chapter 17, God makes a promise to Abraham. I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. 
looking again at Abraham recorded in 11th chapter of Hebrews, verses 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. But you know, the promise was made to Abraham and his seed forever. But before Abraham's descendants occupied the land of promise, before they claimed the city whose builder and maker was God, they spent 400 intervening years eventually becoming slaves in Egypt. The promise that was made to Abraham did not come about in his lifetime. In fact, that everlasting covenant has not been fulfilled unto this day. The land of milk and honey, we don't know exactly what it looked like. There are some pictures that we think may be kind of a representative of the land of milk and honey that Abraham was looking for. We know it produced large clusters of grapes and pomegranates and figs. We know that the land was extremely productive beyond anything Israel had ever known. It was probably the choicest land in all of the earth. And so we have these various pictures which show us which show us what it might have looked like. We don't know what it looked like, uh, but it was a beautiful land. Do you know what the land of milk and honey looks like today? An everlasting covenant and a promise made to Abraham, the land of milk and honey, the land of prosperity, the land of beauty, and, and the, the, the land whose city and foundation was built by God. And to this day, that promise has not yet been fulfilled. How can we understand the fact that God made promises to faithful men who carried out their assigned missions, who bore the impact of the battle, but who died without seeing the greater good they were fighting for? Again, verse 11 in Hebrews chapter 11. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. But the next part is interesting. But having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. They saw them afar off. They were persuaded of them and the promise that they embraced the promises. This is called the faith chapter. And what is faith? The answer is found understanding verse 1 of this chapter. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the evidence of things that are not seen. Faith is the sense organ that can see the invisible in the, in the spiritual world. Faith says, I can't see it, but it's real. Faith says, I don't understand it, but it's true. I don't have it, but it's there and it's mine. The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the ground of proof for the reality of what we can't see or touch. Faith does not contradict reason. We have to understand that. Faith goes beyond reason. It's interesting that in verse 3 of this chapter, um, 
the creation is given as an evidence of faith that goes beyond reason. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. So where did the creation come from? It appeared out of nowhere and out of nothing, except the word of God who said, let there be. No one was there to witness the creation. It's impossible to repeat the phenomenon of creation, but here it is. And the only proof that we have of its origin is this. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And things that are seen are not made of things that appear. Out of nothing, God spoke and it came. Faith, the evidence of things not seen. You know, through faith, we know that there is a heaven. Through faith, we know that we are going there. Through faith, we know that Jesus Christ paid for our sins. Through faith, we understand that we are clothed in righteousness and purity before God. I can't see it, but it's real. I don't understand it, but it's true. I don't have it, but it's there and it's mine. You see, the termination of the lives of these Old Testament heroes did not negate the promises of God. Their mortal earthly lives ended, but the promises of God were everlasting. We are reminded that the ways of God are past finding out. The timing of God, the providence of God, these are all beyond our human ability to comprehend. We see them and we understand them. We believe them through the eyes of faith. So the first category of veterans is the ones that we find here in this 11th chapter of Hebrews. Now the next category of, a veteran, of veterans that we'd like to speak about this morning is, um, com, is those who among us, those throughout our country who fought and who died for an intangible reality and those who never saw the fulfillment of what they fought for. I'm speaking, of course, of today's veterans, the first responders whom we honor today. And we do. We honor all veterans. We honor veterans of military service as well as police and fire and medical professionals. Courage shows itself in many, many ways. Of course, a soldier going off to a war demonstrates courage. A fireman running into a burning building to rescue a trapped victim demonstrates courage. A nurse braving a deadly virus heading into the work at a hospital ward, that's courage. All young men and women grow up with dreams and hopes of what their lives will be like. I wanna be a fireman. I want to be a stay-at-home mom when I grow up. I want to be a teacher or a driver, a truck driver, whatever. I want to be some goal they have in mind. And so they finish school. They grow up. They pursue their dreams. They enter into the vo the vo their vocations with hope and a sense of accomplishment. And then one day it happens. As they are carrying out their missions, as they go to work each day, 
and before they fully enjoy their station in life, it, be, it comes to an abrupt and a bitter end. Their vocations bring them face to face with unimaginable dangers. A burning building, a firefight in Afghanistan or in Vietnam or in Iraq, a police response to a domestic quarrel in their hometown, or perhaps an exposure to COVID, and their young lives are snuffed out. In the past, America has done well by honoring those who risked their lives for our nation's security. When the battles were done, when the war was over, soldiers returned home to victory parades and shouts of jubilation all across America and around the world. They shed their blood, their sweat, their tears in order to protect and defend our Constitution from all enemies. The victory parades in New York and Paris, all around the world, celebrating the victory of VE Day in Europe, VJ Day in Japan. And we regularly honor firemen and police for the sacrifices they make to keep us safe. The values of freedom and liberty and security and safety are counted worthy of the sacrifice of these brave heroes. But many have suffered, many have been disfigured and mentally tormented, all for the cause greater than themselves, all for the advancement of a greater and lasting good. Still, many others have given their lives and were never able to fully realize the blessings for which they fought. Some lie at rest in foreign cemeteries like Normandy or Netherlands in France or Lorraine. Others lie in rest here in our homeland in Arlington National Cemetery. They lie at rest while we, the living, go on with our lives. It's imperative that all of us realize that what we enjoy today was not without cost. Who can place a value on the security of a nation? What price could be compared to a safe and a law-abiding neighborhood? What value do you place on available emergency personnel and well-staffed medical facilities? We, the people, sincerely thank all of you who have served our communities and our nation. With deepest respect, we honor the veterans who died in service to their communities and to their nation. Through the eyes of faith, they and we understood that what they fought for was worthy of the sacrifice they made. Now, a third category of veterans that we want to recognize, we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes to this young man, Timothy, and he says, Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And there it is again. The affairs of this life are alluring. The affairs of this life are pleasurable. The affairs of this life offer comfort and sensual pleasures. 
They're equivalent to the treasures of Egypt. And like Moses, a good Christian soldier would rather forfeit the treasures of this world than to enjoy the pleasures of this world for a season. And so a young man or woman goes off into the military, forfeiting and leaving behind all the pleasures and all the comforts of home in order to go wherever his government needs him. In other words, suffering depravity and affliction with the people of God promises a greater reward than the pleasures of this world. The culture of our world today is rapidly becoming antagonistic and hateful toward the things of God. It seems to happen incrementally at first, hardly without notice. I quoted the book by Robert Bork in the past. I do it again. But in the words of Robert Bork, we were once slouching toward Gomorrah. Slouching, moving steadily towards Gomorrah. But today we're running headlong into a cesspool of sin and debauchery. This is what Paul says to Timothy, this young Christian soldier. He says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and meekness. You have professed a good profession before many witnesses. In other words, you've got to bear the impact of the battle. I give you charge in the sight of God that you keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Taking a stand as a Christian soldier can sometimes be a very lonely struggle. Sometimes the good fight of faith goes unnoticed and without gratitude. The struggle to remain true to the captain of our salvation may not be appreciated by anyone other than the captain of our salvation. But in the end, he is the only one that matters. In Arlington, there's a tomb to unknown soldiers. Most of you, many of you have seen it. Men who died in battle, but whose remains could not be identified. It stands as a people's memorial that inspires reflection on anonymous service. Reflection on valor, reflection on sacrifice. And since November 11th, 1921, the tomb of the unknown has provided a final resting place for one of America's unidentified World War I service members. Later in 1958 and again in 1987, there were four other unknown remains from later wars that were added. On the west face of this tomb, there is an inscription which says, Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. These veterans passed off the scene of life, and only God knows who they are. But there are Christian soldiers who are sometimes unknown and unnoticed. They may be working faithfully behind the scenes in our church, and there are many. 
They may be working in our schools, our Christian schools, and hardly anyone notices them. Or they may be alone on a far-off mission field. They may be helpless in a hospital bed or in a nursing home, forgotten by family and friends. But these anonymous, unknown Christian soldiers are known by God. And their faithfulness to him will be greatly rewarded. It was their faith that was the evidence of things not seen. Now, the fourth veteran that we will honor today is found in the responsive reading that we read earlier from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. I read it again. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. The foremost example of one who has carried out his assigned mission to defeat the enemy, one who bore the impact of the battle, and one who died in service in the sacrifice is the sacrifice of Jesus, the author of our faith. He's the captain of our faith, Jesus, the one who displayed unparalleled courage in carrying out his assigned mission to defeat the enemies, Satan and death. He is the ultimate example of Christian endurance by giving his life by dying on a cross. Let me say, though, his suffering had an eternal and a noble purpose. The words that are found in the middle of these verses, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. That's kind of a strange way of saying it, isn't it? For the joy that was set before him. It was for the joy that was set before him that he despised the shame. It was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. How great must have been that joy ahead of him that he would voluntarily give his life in such a humiliating and embarrassing and disgraceful and shameful way, even the death on the cross. What was the joy that made it all worth it for him? For him to die on a cross, giving his life voluntarily for the joy that was set before him. In Luke chapter 15, verse 7, it says this, I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents. The salvation of sinners is the joy that was set before Jesus as he went to the cross, despising the shame, enduring the suffering that was ahead of him. The joy of seeing you born again and saved 
It brings joy in heaven. Where is Christ today? He's in heaven. And every time someone walks the aisle and gives his life and his heart to Jesus Christ, there is joy and jubilation in heaven. And Jesus is among those who share in that joy because a sinner is saved. Jesus said, I'll take the crown of thorns in my head. I will take the nails in my hands and feet. I will take the spear in my side and I will die voluntarily so I may have the joy of sinner rescued from eternal flames and go to the eternal joy of heaven. Look also at the joy that was before him. In the book of Jude, the 24th chapter, listen as I read Jude 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. The sanctification, not only the salvation, but the sanctification of sinners is the joy that was set before him. He is able to keep you from falling. In other words, you're not ever going back into that condemnation that once was ours. He is able to keep you from falling. And by his spirit, he keeps us on the heavenly path. Not only that, but he is our intercessor. He is our defense attorney that brings us before the throne of God and introduces us before the throne as faultless. Faultless. And he does this with exceeding joy. That's why he endured the cross. That's why he despised the shame. The sanctification of sinners brought Jesus a joy that exceeded the suffering he experienced on the cross. What else? In John 15, verse 11, we read, These things, Jesus says, have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy may be full. The opportunity for Jesus to share his joy with his redeemed ones was the joy set before him. Peter says, whom having not seen you love, and whom, though you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. The joy that was set before our Lord, the joy that was set before him, for which he voluntarily endured the cross, was in knowing that by his death he could save sinners, by his death he could sanctify sinners, and by his death he could fill them with unspeakable joy and full of glory. That's how much he loves us. Look again at Hebrews 12 and see yet another great joy that was set before him. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and here it is, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The exaltation of Jesus Christ to his former glory was the joy that was set before him. And do you realize, Christian believer, do you realize that you will be seated with Christ in his heavenly glory? I read from Ephesians chapter 2, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, 
even when we were dead in sins, he quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved. He has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. In the ages and ages and ages to come. We may be paupers in this world today. We not, may not have all that the world has to offer right now, but through the eyes of faith, we know that in the ages to come, he will show us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. That's the joy that was set before Christ, and that's the joy that we will have with Christ, seated in the heavenlies in glory for all the ages and eternity to come. Fight the good fight of faith. It's worth it. Lay hold on eternal life. These four categories of veterans. Hebrews 11 category. The military, police, firemen we honor today. The saints who are the army of God and veterans. And Jesus Christ who is the veteran. These four categories have something in common. All of them were able to believe in a greater good than was obvious to the human eye. Through the eye of faith, they understood that their fight and even their death was for a noble purpose. Their faith and belief in an ideal gave them courage to carry on with no guarantee of immediate success or personal gain. They all sacrificed momentary and tangible comfort for intangible, lasting gain in the future. Human logic can in no way comprehend a truth that is only perceived by faith. But no truth is more perfect than that truth which is revealed by God and accepted only by faith. It is the substance of things hoped for. It's the, it's the evidence of things that we cannot see. So let me ask you about your faith. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in him as your Lord and your Savior? Realizing he endured the cross, he despised the shame for the joy of seeing you saved. He suffered so that you can be made holy so that you could stand before God faultless at the judgment. He paid for your sins by shedding his blood. So let me be a recruiter this morning. Let me invite you to enlist and to join the army of the Lord by confessing your sins and by submitting to him as the captain of your faith. Let us pray. Lord God, we're living in a wicked world. We're living at a time when, more than ever, Christian soldiers must take a stand. They must know what is right and do what is right without compromise. We must be ready to forfeit the pleasures of this world in order to please him who has called us to be a soldier. Lord, I thank you for every soldier of Christ in this audience, in this congregation today. I pray, Lord, those who are considering, those who are uh, 
idea of, of enlisting or, or joining the army. Lord, I pray that they might submit to the leadership and to the, and to the captain of our salvation, the one who gave his life for us so that we might be your child. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we've had to share in this morning. And now bless us as we continue with this service. And I pray that if there's anyone here who does not know you as his or her personal Savior, help them to give their hearts to you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.